decided without parents, without the matchmaker. On the other hand, did Adam and Eve have a matchmaker? subtitles where we spike the canon in music and movies. In each episode we will offer up replacements for each title in the top 100 of a well-known, well-regarded ranking, and we'll walk away with a pair of subtitles which we think deserve more acclaim and to which attention must be paid. I'm Matt, and I'm replacing the top 100 entries on Spin Magazine's 2015 list of the top 300 albums from 1985 until 2015 starting with number one and working down. I'm Tim. I'm replacing the entries on the 2007 AFI 100 Years 100 Movies list, starting with number 100 and working up. Here's how this works. Two of us have gone through each list, decided on a theme of the original entry, and have come up with a pair of potential replacement titles which share that theme. We'll talk about that original entry, sometimes we'll regret that we have to get rid of it, and sometimes we'll rejoice in being able to drop it. But this podcast is not just another dissection of an outmoded list. In part one of this episode, I have two new albums to talk through, and Tim will make the choice for the subtitles albums list. Then, in part two, Tim will have two new movies to discuss, and I will decide which of them deserves a place on the subtitles movies list. Sometimes I will have seen the movies, sometimes Tim will have listened to the albums, but at the end of the day, what matters is how well we've sold the titles. And at the end of some of those days, one of us will want to bop the other for that choice. Once we finish this off, we'll do some fun activities with the new lists we've collaborated on, but before we can get there, we have to do this. Today's title to be replaced is Sound of Silver, LCD Sound Systems uh, 2007 album. A lot of sound in that introduction, and that almost tripped me up, but hey, I made it. The vibes are good today, Tim. The vibes are damn good. Um... To the point that the theme momentarily, the, the theme was in a lot of uh, turmoil last night in my head, and it almost at one point became the vibes are good or something like that. And like we would have talked about, I don't know, like Tame Impala and Beach House or some shit like that. Um, we're not going to do that, but just to say that uh, I, if you just want to vibe out on a, on a whatever day we post this afternoon or whatever day you're listening to it. Um, I think particularly, you know, maybe like very late sunset into the night. This is a great album for that. It's a, it's one to just sit back with I, and just, I, man, just listen to and, and kind of zone out. And that's going to be part of my point today for good or ill, the zone out part. But I don't know the it's. It's an album I have kind of a hard time with, but is undeniably like, just nice to listen to. Um, Tim, I think, is our, uh, I don't know, L- LCD sound system uh, true believer of the podcast, so I, I want to kick it to you. Like, what, what are your thoughts on Sound of Silver? Uh, I agree that this is a, a sort of crepuscular album, you know, one that is listened to in those in those sort of dusky hours when the ocelots are active. Um, and just sort of swimming in the in the vibes you get out of that. Um, it, it has Babu's seal of approval. This album, 
Yeah, the the all important <laughs> animated Ocelot seal of approval, which probably just sounds like that weird meow thing that he does. Um, but it's it's an it's an album which I was I was thinking about it earlier, and it's it's not deep. Um, even the parts in this, which I think are sort of emotionally resonant, are not deep. You know, like it's it's most potent moment for me on the entire album is the one um in all my friends where you have that lyric which i'm not going to try to quote perfectly but essentially um you spend the the first five years trying to get with the plan and the next five years trying to see your friends again or get with your friends again and like that's that's a very nice thought and it's very poignant and it's very relatable, and I think a lot of people can can sort of find themselves in that. And I think that is about as profound as this entire as this entire album gets. So it's not something, um, it's not something which I think really gets at the heart of a condition, or you know, feels wise or anything like that. Um, it's possible even that the wisest thing that anyone says on this entire album is the first line of the final track, which shares its title, New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. <laughs> that might, if it's not, if it's not number two, it might even be number one. Like it's just, it's just not that kind of album that you listen to, to, to find the weight of the world. It's an album that you listen to and you sort of like, find your arms swinging a little bit unnecessarily. I think, I think that's where, where the magic is here. It's not an album you think to, it's an album you feel to. Um, and again, I think that definitely has its place. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the moment in all your friends is, this, this is a band and an album that is capable of these moments of like, real genuine pathos um that just kind of sneak up on you and like there's a certain i don't know loneliness even into them um and i think there are moments in the music that like sort of mirror this and like start to trouble the the vibiness of it all um you know the opening track i think get innocuous is like there's just kind of a, a bubbling like or, or like a uh, murmuring underneath that and in, in some of the electronic parts like it seems somewhat unsettled um, and there's little flourishes like that throughout where you know it's just something mild but there's a sound in there that it's like well if you followed that more like this would be a different kind of album but it always kind of vibes itself out of it or rises itself out of it like all my friends is a good example it starts with um, kind of a, a solo piano line um, it's somewhat pretty, but like kind of aggressively twinkly in a way. Um, but like it starts from that position of loneliness and then it rises. And this is a song that ascends to the heavens pretty much. Um, and like just keeps doing so like, there's no real um, traditional breakup in the, the music here. Like the music just keeps rising and rising. Um, and like it is this incredible moment of like ascension then but it, it's ending with like where are my friends tonight if i could see all my friends tonight so it ends in the same position of loneliness and like um just calling out and like 
All My Friends, I think, is the best track here, though. Man, someone great sneaks up on me. <laughs> like, every time I hear it, I was like, oh, damn, that's right, this thing is good. Um, but I think in so much as this album is trying to capture a spirit, and in so much as LCD Sound System fits into that, you know, that aughts New York City rock revival, like, James Murphy is always the weird figure in that, but he is part of it. Um, something like All My Friends is what's capturing that that essence, that, that vibe. Um, but I think some of the other attempts here are just clunky. And like, that's why I have kind of a hard time with this album because I have to just kind of turn off my brain with it. And like, given the scene that it's coming from, that can be hard for me at times, but even something like New York, I love you, but you're bringing me down. Like the opening. Great. Verse two. Uh, our records I'll show you were filthy but fine, but they shuttered your stores when you opened your doors to the cops who were bored once they'd run out of cr- Like, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but I'm not here for, for Murphy to do, like, boring social commentary. <laughs> um, I'm here for, like, again, something like All My Friends or something like Someone Great, um, where it is this kind of loneliness and sadness uh, filtered into insistently dancing music. Like, um, you know, Murphy's want to make indie kids dance pretty much like somewhat reductive, but pretty much like that's his ethos is well established. Um, and he pulls it off with a plum here and just the, the way he's able to combine his kind of like, genuinely uncool rock posturing like his love of 70s stuff uh, and just these savvy dance constructions is impressive and will always be impressive and i think you know even at the time that's why sound of silver was was so well reviewed or just like damn it sounds good and like we love a thing that sounds good and that we can just uh that we can just kind of exist with for 45 minutes or an hour um yeah i don't like this is, I don't know, to me, I suppose, the notorious omission from that odds top 100 list I did. Um, and I <laughs> like I hand-waved it off the stage by calling it not rock enough, which, I don't know, isn't fair. But like I didn't really want to deal with where I thought it, it should be. Um, I think, you know, years past that now, I have a better sense of how I feel about it. And it, it should have been on there. Um, but... I find myself as someone who, like, in this 2000s rock scene, I want the stuff that just, like, is either trying to make me hate myself or just, like, goes for my soul. Um, you know, last week's episodes, The Moon in Antarctica, that's my shit. Uh, Kid A. Um, even, some, you know, stuff like the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs or the Strokes. Like, there's a, uh, not the same, you know, intellectual penetration there but like those are just grimy in particular ways like there's there's something just harder edgier about them not you know necessarily just in sound but like just in spirit i suppose um and i kind of want that i want those rough edges and lcd sound system kind of smooths those out um to the point where i start having a hard time with them though again murphy is trying to lyrically um do something here 
Um, and, and that's kind of a rough overview of our theme, which I will name explicitly in a moment. But Tim, uh, other stuff you want to say about Sound of Silver? Any songs I haven't mentioned that you want to make sure get get some attention from the audience? I think I think North American Scum also kind of fits that like easy social critique that's not necessarily all that deep but is kind of entertaining in its own light like it's a song which i which i prefer to um to new york etc for sure um and i i do just sort of like some of his his individual line readings in in his songs like um i don't know the first time he actually said watch the tapes and watch the tapes i like burst out laughing because it's just it's like such a such an over the top way to approach that, um, but yeah, I think I think he, we were talking about this last night, and when you said it has that that three song stretch, North American Scum, Someone Great, All My Friends, that's that's where it is in this particular album. Like to me, that's the 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 greatest part of it, and I don't think that's controversial or anything. It's it's less controversial than our Moon in Antarctica, or yeah, Moon in Antarctica takes. Um, from last week. I don't know why I thought Moon versus Antarctica, which would be a very different kind of album, and also definitely very funny. Is that because you're reading about a ton of Star Trek for no apparent reason? There's a reason. It's not obvious, but there is. it's the magic of links on Wikipedia. Um, so while Tim imagines his own cosmic wars, <laughs> North American scum, the ending, like, the line reading on but don't blame the canadians is hilarious but also like i don't know it always takes me out of it for some reason because i'm like man this could have been something interesting and like now we're just going for cheap jokes on canadians um but again line reading beautiful um so yeah this is an album that the sound is terrific the vibes undeniable indelible um but there's just something kind of uh, i don't know some kind of something kind of uh surfacy uh, about the most of the observations happening here because it's trying to have those um that said at what are we at 47 uh yeah i i can see it i don't know if i'd put it there myself but i don't hate it um, I'm honestly surprised it's not higher on the spin list. Uh, it seemed like one that, um, you know, that that writing room probably would have had higher if you had asked me before this came out. Um, but at 47, I love a good vibes album, and it, it's you know around the middle of the list. That seems cool to me. Um, I know that's a, a, a raving review of LCD sound system, but like you're gonna know if they're your thing or not, and they're like half my thing um but good album damn good album so the theme today is is based on one of um sound of silver's uh track titles and it's get innocuous and you can choose whether i'm putting the exclamation point in there or not um and there's a refrain at the end of get innocuous you can normalize don't it make you feel alive which I think is nonsense. But I also think it's a good frame for what I want to do today. Um, because I want to look at 
kind of in general dancier indie rock bands so the initial theme here was indie dance um there's going to be sort of a continuation of like indie subgenres from last week instead it's going to be a continuation of like um how aughts indie music in particular is trying to and either succeeding or failing to like unsettle our perspectives in some way um and if it's something that can like just dig deep into us a la moon in antarctica or if it's something that risks becoming innocuous that maybe there's there's interesting stuff happening there but like uh, and this is sort of my the tough time i have with sound of silver like you can just vibe out to it and you and you you know the line readings may be funny but you kind of miss the maybe the inherent sadness of it and like in all my friends um or what something like uh new york you're bringing me down is doing um which i think is actually kind of a clever song because it's like lou reed meets meets like kind of the lounge style of frank sinatra like a more muted kind and it's like that's a very cool like new york mishmash to make um and, and to kind of sing through that so um Right, even in that, there's a lot of commentary happening, but you, you, you kind of gloss over it. So I want to look at two bands that um, maybe are doing this purposefully or trying to break out of it um, or are uh, just categorized as, man, these are good, catchy tunes, and then like nothing goes, goes deeper than that. Um, and I'm not judging anyone who does that. I certainly have that music in my life. Um, but just these bands that have these smooth edges and seeing how they, they maybe are troubling them or not. Um, and how, you know, especially one of these uh, can be easily read as innocuous, but, but is it? Um, so two albums that are playing with that kind of risk and that idea. Um, does that make enough sense tim uh, this is a theme that i've uh this is a late breaking one and one that like i don't think has an easy definition but makes sense in my head it's a compromise theme i think you have been looking for a compromise theme and this this seems like a like an appropriate one so get innocuous we're going to talk about phoenix's 2009 album wolfgang amadeus phoenix and hot chips 2006 album uh, the Warning. One of these I'm sure you've heard of. Um, you may have heard of both of them if you're if you're really into your uh, um, electro indie. Um, well, we're going to do Hot Chip second, so I'll save that. But let's start with Phoenix and Wolfgang Amadeus. Phoenix, Tim, vital question. Lithsomania or 1901? That is an interesting question, isn't it? Um, I don't know. It's probably, for me, it's probably Listomania. Um, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's 1901's fault necessarily, but it is like, it is the inner contrarian that everybody else kind of chose 1901, <laughs> I feel like. And, and that's the one that's been kind of inescapable ever since. Um, and, and Listomania still feels at least a little bit fresher to me. So maybe that's, again, maybe that's not 1901's fault, but that's where I fall. 
Nah, Litsomania is the correct answer. <laughs> um, I like partially this is inspired by the, the Ringer rip. Uh, and they did like uh, this was in 2013, 14. Their songs of the millennia so far, and there was Grantland. Uh, yeah, Grantland. <laughs> Ringer's not dead yet. Grantland <laughs> rip. Um, <laughs> the spirit, the spiritual predecessor. Um, uh, breaking news on the subtitles podcast that'll get to you three weeks after we record. Um, anywho, on the Grantland bit. Um, and they're like, you know, initial setup posts, they're going through like some of the tough choices and like arguments that broke out. And one of them was Litsomania 1901. And they went with 1901. And I've just always been mad at that decision. So part of this uh, extends from just years of, of grumpiness. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw Phoenix live and was real curious what their set order was going to be. Uh, 1901 was last, pretty sure if I remember correctly. Um, Litsomania was like fifth, um, which was a cool place for it in the flow of everything. But like 1901 is definitely the the monolith here. Um, even though this is a this is a an album with wall to wall singles and wall to wall hits, and it has basically one break in that flow, which is an important one that I, I want to spend some time on. Um, but Damn, this thing is loaded with just basically perfect pop rock electronic mix hits. Um, and, you know, if you go listen to what's popular in indie, what's popular on rock radio now, as much as it exists, um, I shouldn't say rock radio, that's its own different space, popular on, on indie or alternative radio, uh, it's going to sound a lot like Phoenix. Um I mean, there's going to be a lot of LCD sound system in there too, but there's a lot of Phoenix. Um, and this thing is still, uh, you know, I think Litsomania 1901 both are songs that are going to to live well beyond us. Um, I, I think they've probably achieved that status, um, if it, nothing else than in car commercials. Um, so, Tim, did you ever find an answer to that question? Which one have you heard it most in? I don't know. I don't know. I just, I feel like, I feel like I've been hearing this song. I don't know. I would say like once every six months, it just shows up like I've, this is the first time I've ever listened to this album straight through. And like, I feel like every six months, there's just some place where I hear 1901 and I cannot tell what commercial it might have been in. Because, like, I looked up a list of commercials that it might have been in, and, like, none of them were ringing a bell for me. And at the same time, I'm sure I've heard it coming from the television. So it's it's just very weird. I don't know that I'm not just making it up as I, you know, sit there and watch commercials during sporting events. It's possible that it's just, it's just beaten that deeply into my brain. Which is the sign of a true immortal pop hit. Yes. Like, 1901 has that in its bag. Um, yeah, I looked at the list of commercials it's been in, and when you had mentioned that question last night, I was like, oh, there was an old Audi commercial. Like, that's the one I remember. Nope, there was no Audi commercial. There was a Cadillac commercial. <laughs> 
so like i had the car part right but like totally different uh make and model in my head just totally different context um I don't know where I invented that from or which ether I pulled that out of, but I, I think I'm just retroactively putting 1901 in commercials. Um, I think if nothing else, it's going to exist in grocery store playlist canon, and that is that's a big thing um, to me. Anyway, you look, you have your searching face on, and I don't know if it's more Star Trek or if you found 1901 stuff. No, it's the, it's the Cadillac ad. I just I just rewatched it. I didn't have the sound on, but I didn't need it. You know how the song goes. Yes. Um, this is the album with Litsomania, with nineteen oh one, obviously with Fences, with Lasso, with Rome, with Armistice. Uh, there's a couple other songs in there that aren't as popular, but are still good. Uh, again, wall to wall hits. Um, and only like 36 minutes. So this is a, a very fast, not very fast necessarily, but this is like a quick, just good, happy listen and the happy thing we're going to talk about a bit. But how was it listening to it all the way through the first time? <laughs> it was fun. I liked it. You know, it was, I was sort of waiting for like more of the more of the come down stuff and like the one place where it does that when it actually happened, I'm like, Oh, this is very interesting, but I feel almost kind of eerie. And then it, you know, just steps on the gas again and, and doesn't, doesn't let up. And that was, I don't know, probably about as comfortable as a 2010 Cadillac SRX. Uh, <laughs> man, we don't get paid to, to advertise here. Um, Cadillac hit us up. Um, yeah, I'm glad you you mentioned that because that's kind of what I want to look at with this album specifically uh, is that moment where it's like, oh, and it kind of backs off everything. Uh, and then uh, much like a Cadillac XRS has, has good recovery speed, uh, it revs itself back up pretty quickly. Um, I don't know. I'm making this up as I go now. Uh, so we begin with... Litsomania 1901 and Fences, um, and all three of these songs are just immensely groovy, um, basically perfectly constructed, um, just in terms of their tunefulness, like how they're put together. Um, different vibes to each of them, but all of them are just examples of how Phoenix can just make a kind of a pure three to four minute song um, that's going to live in our brains forever. Um, I think even something like Fences, which doesn't have the name recognition or isn't as popular as the other two, like, I think a lot of people, if you put that on, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I heard that somewhere. Maybe it was in a commercial. Who knows? But after that run, we get to Love Like a Sunset, part one and two. Um, and I think the, this little run here gets into this theme of get innocuous. Now, I think it's sort of prefaced by Fences a little bit which is a very cluttered song, but you would never know just kind of letting it bop into your ears. But if you, if you listen a bit more closely, um, you have, again, just this really cohesive melody and rhythm going together. Uh, Thomas Mars has a, a nice vocal line on it, or, or Tomas, I guess, they're French. Um, we're, we're out of North American scum here. We're, we've gone international. Um, but underneath that, you get 
this kind of jangling acoustic line. You get a, a long, kind of uncomfortably long cymbal line or cymbal roll. If you just listen, if you just focus on that, there's hand claps under there. There's kind of a murmuring or, or chiming synth line. Like there's all this stuff just happening underneath um, a really pretty. Uh, melody and groove and each of those gets a little bit of its own moment like they kind of rise into the production but then they they dissipate pretty quickly um but it's like all this stuff all these layers are just there um and you have to actively try and find them but they're super easy to just lose in the catchiness of it all um and and this is how i want to look at the love like a sunset run um as Kind of the confrontation of the stuff that's bubbling underneath a lot of these songs, um, and that Phoenix kind of insistently uh, smooths over or tries to, but you can still hear them um, just kind of simmering underneath everything. Um, Love like a sunset, part one is the, is the key here. <laughs> um, you have this machine-like distortion at the beginning of it. Um, it it's not not a kraut rock song in some ways um it's kind of um just industrial uh industrial german rock with like very hard edges like it's pokey in a way you can you can feel kind of the barbs and the the edges of the production um and it's um often pretty staccatoed pretty kind of labored over in the rhythms and like you're kind of getting that at the beginning of love like a sunset part one um shortly after there's the bass sounds like it's short circuiting there's a synth that's just droning across most of the middle of this track that leads into this kind of plinky guitar um and then this all leads or the, the guitar line leads into a synth that just sounds like it's being overwhelmed by white noise or static like the it's like all the instruments on this song are kind of breaking down in real time um or that right this just these these various kinds of distortion and static and um and just perturbedness are are interrupting what is trying to be uh, this very, you know, this very grandiose kind of song. Like you can hear the the pieces in here of uh, just this immense swelling of something happy, um, uh, of some of something beautiful, like a sunset, love like a sunset. Um, but that's just constantly unsettled by these little flourishes that you know. If you look at offenses, they're all happening underneath. And love like a sunset, part one, they take over. Um, and this song just completely fuzzes itself out, and that leads into Love Like a Sunset Part 2, which is maybe more, or sounds more traditional to what we're expecting from Phoenix. Honestly, it sounds kind of like a Coldplay song, um, but there's a little note at the end of it that's just a bit sour, and it's not a lot, but like it, it just kind of, it comes down just a little bit. Um, and I think that's important to understanding the not literally second half of the album, um, compared to the first three anyway. Um, but the second part of this album where, again, we're getting more uh, singles that sound like a 1901, that sound like offenses, that, that remind us of those. Um, but those elements that were bubbling underneath before um, are kind of intricate parts of the songs now. I think Lasso is, is a great example of this. Um, 
because the rhythm is trying to like connect and find itself throughout that whole song and there's kind of two going at once and it because they're phoenix like obviously it fits together like they're very they're just very good at making music um and so like it the construction does work but there's there's a the bounciness is taking you in several different ways. And, and Lasso has one of my favorite moments, which is just this like unnecessarily aggressive roll across the pre-chorus. <laughs> like it's so fast and so hard and it just like, it doesn't need to be there, but God, it's perfect when it happens. And as I get older, Lasso just becomes a better and better song. And I don't know, I guess in five years, meet me for my hot take that Lasso is the best one here. Um, but again, the, and there's there's just more chunkiness in kind of the chords and the bass here. There's a bit more reverb on the whole thing. Um, like again, Lasso could have been as big a hit as 1901, or maybe not as big, but a big hit like 1901 or Litsomania. Um, but it is more angry in some places. It's just more unsettled in a lot of. Uh, a lot of parts of its construction. Um, and I think that's true of, of Rome, of countdown of girlfriend and of armistice in different ways. Um, armistice, uh, has kind of a, a wood block, I think like that's what it sounds like anyway, that it's introducing and kind of this, um, I, I don't think it's actually, uh, an accordion, but like it has a similar sound to it. Um, and that just kind of gets a solo near the end of Armistice. And so, right, it's these weird little flourishes that you wouldn't get on on the first part of the album. Um, but by the time we get to Armistice, which is a very pretty song, um, these things are finally taking over. They're getting solo space. Um, and uh, Mars is, sounds a bit panicked by the end of Armistice. Um, you know, he's not a, a singer with... I would say immense range, um, but he can, you know, he can communicate an emotion across these songs. Um, and oftentimes that is a sort of angst or nerviness or, um, um, it, like he, he can just sound unsettled when he needs to, when it fits the song and armistice kind of squirrels its way out at the end too, which is, you know, maybe an odd choice for an album that is just so purely crafted. Um, and these are songs generally about, um, you know, the angst of, of love and togetherness and of just living in a modern world as, as trite as that sound. I don't think Phoenix is that trite, but that's, that's just me putting a, a bad name on it. Um, right. We open with Litsomania and the opening lines are so sentimental, not sentimental, no romantic, not disgusting yet. Darling, I'm down and lonely. Um, so I think we get a, a great sense of where lyrically this album is at from the beginning. And that's what's going to carry through. Um, and again, that's something you can lose in how just catchy these songs are. Um, Mars at the beginning of Litsomania and across this album is, is nervous, is unsure, is uh, insistent, and then full of self-doubt. Uh, he's down and lonely. Um, and that's what most of these songs are covering even the title love like a sunset i mentioned like that could be something beautiful um but that could also be an end and those songs are talking about um endings in in, in various ways so yeah th that's uh 
I guess to tie that much more explicitly to get innocuous, um, Phoenix as the band of these three that has the biggest hits. Um, you know, LCD sound system has big hits, so I don't say that with 100% confidence, but I'm pretty sure 1901 at the very least takes out anything else in this episode. <laughs> um, though as I look at the, uh, the Genius Lyric um, page, Litsomania actually has the most views. Which I think is interesting. Pretty sure 1901 has the most Spotify plays, though. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe it balances out. Um, but right, this is a band that could be emblematic of a kind of innocuous indie electro rock, um, and that in some ways is because they are a figurehead of uh, this kind of subgenre of the just brilliant prettiness of it all. Um, but I do think Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix is is doing a lot to to invite us to question that throughout. Um, it's not forcing us to, um, but I think there's a lot underneath the surface here that um, is troubling how innocuous it is read as. Um, yeah, Tim, any thoughts on any more thoughts on Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix? It's an interesting thought that it's um I don't know anything. Anything which can be repurposed into a Cadillac ad doesn't seem like <laughs> like it's a particularly you know threatening, dangerous, or even um, even eccentric kind of music. Um, but they are they are doing more stuff on the on the back half of the album. I think I think Lasso is one of the places I would have looked to, um, just because that one does sort of amp it up even further than than like those earlier songs like it really does have more of that energy and you can sort of i think you can sort of get a sense of the the limits of people's patience for that for that brightness or that twinkliness or the crossover sound just because that's not the one that that got big it's the one that i don't know i just really can't hear without imagining 20 year old me playing tetris or 30-year-old me playing Tetris, which is something that happens with some regularity. Um, speaking of the good vibes, Tetris. Shout out to Tetris, which we're also branding for now, apparently. Tetris hit us up. Um, yeah, I, I, like, I don't think at all that this album is eccentric. Um, and maybe that's... I don't think it was at the time either, but maybe with hindsight, it's even less so because of how much stuff picked up the sound of this thing without the spirit of the thing. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, this, in this beautifully deconstructive uh, process, like they at once made the kind of the ur text of the thing and are like trying to break it down in various ways across at the same time. Um so, like, this is an album I, I really, really enjoy. I, I really like this album. Um, and you can go into it that way, which is kind of the point. Like, you can get innocuous with it. Um, but if you want to dig into it, there's a lot more there than maybe we expect of these, like, just shiny, bright, happy Frenchmen, which is in itself just <laughs> impossible. Um, I want to read uh, verse one of... of Love Like a Sunset Part 2 is a way into Hot Chip. Acres, a visible horizon right where it starts and ends. Oh, when did we start the end? Um, which, 
I think, you know, that's important to understanding Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix too, but I, with Hot Trips, The Warning, their, 20, their 2006 album, um, it's an album that is concerned with repetition. Like this is part of the, the, the book on it. Um, and is a kind of darker electronica from what Hot Chip is doing elsewhere. Um, it has some definite, um, it's like LCD, it's much more like LCD sound system than Phoenix, certainly. Um, but it has kind of that like combo of, of rock sympathy or like a rock foundation um, that is being investigated through various kinds of electric music, electronic music. Um, so it's, it's an, it's a very just kind of interesting album in that way. Um, but again, it's much darker um, and it's much less, I think generally satisfying than the sound of silver in particular, where, where that album has those sweeps and those swells that you can kind of get into. Um, and all my friends, great example. Uh, the warning is either actively resisting those or the, the mix and the production is such that like you can hear them there, but there's some kind of disconnect in the whole thing. Um, and I think that's important to the experience of this album and part of the unsettling of right, what could also be a f- read as a fairly innocuous album, um, and in some ways is. I don't think The Warning is as well known as the other two albums uh, by any means, um, but I also don't not think that you that you won't hear some hot chip and again a lot of what's on indie and alt radio right now. Um, I think you know just to pick one example, something like a Joy Wave, uh, it, who've had you know not major hits, but who've had some hits and like uh, Dangerous Destruction. Um, someone new, I think, was one of their like they're kind of responding to Hot Chip in some ways. Like, I think you'll get this kind of um, darker, cooler electro indie um, that is also on its surface a bit more unsettled. Now, I think the difference is that something like a Joy Wave is trying to make it kind of innocuous, like they are trying to smooth that out. And the warning is very interested in the things that don't quite fit together. Uh, Tim, did you get a chance to listen to this one? I'm just curious, like, your your initial impression before I dig into a couple things. Yeah, I did this one this morning and your description of it as being just like not quite as easy or eager to please, I think. Like I definitely got that. Like it's definitely the the edgiest of the group. It's the one that has like the most the most anxiety in in the sound itself. I think the fact that and maybe this is maybe this is just me pulling my my other significations on top of it, but um, the American and the French bands are a little bit more easygoing, and I just hear more of that sort of industrial anxiety from these guys who do not have posh accents. These these British people who are not not quite as as well off. Um, their names are not Thomas Croquet, and they did not marry Sofia Coppola. Like, there's there's definitely a little bit more um, of that roughness and and that like disinterest in in wanting to have that like smooth sound. You can definitely get that on even a even a, a listen at you know nine a.m. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, and 
to continue the Britishness of it all. Like there are moments on here, there are a lot of moments where you'll get some Depeche Mode um, sounds or vibes. Um, New Order is a band that you can kind of hear across this thing. Um, just like trap and jungle in general. Um, like if you want to hear the Chemical Brothers in it all, or the um, God, I forgot the name of the band, but their album was Mezzanine. So, you know, if you're listening to this and are an electronic fan, I'm, you know, babbling now, stalling, trying to think of it. Massive Attack, there we go. Um, you can hear them in there. Tim was searching. He had no faith in me to figure out a band that's just in my Rolodex. <laughs> um, probably fair. Massive Attack, you know, the band that, that lended a song for the theme music for House. Um, I think I'm talking about mezzanine in a later episode. I should maybe save my bullets. Um, the warning has some very. You didn't know that one, did you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Can Can we assume that if this is a British fan, that hot chip means hot French fry? Is that Is that what I'm supposed to take from this, or does that mean something else? I'm going to assume hot French fry now. <laughs> I confess I hadn't thought about that for some reason. But, I mean, this is not, like, this band can be funny and irreverent when they want to be. So, yeah, let's assume that it just means hot French fry. Um, To their American counter, hot, hot heat. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, back into the album. There's some songs on here that are very sweet. At least on their surface, right? That's the constant refrain of this whole episode. Something like, and I was a boy from school, or Colors. Like, these are fairly gentle songs. Um, they have some moments where, uh, where again, they're kind of um, angsty, I suppose. Um, a, a couple of parts that just sound nervous, or, or like there's a kind of a welling of energy that it doesn't know what to do with. Uh, but they're, they're just sweet kind of mid-tempo songs uh for the most part um and then you get stuff like over and over which is actually i think the breakout hit from the thing by which i mean i'm pretty confident in that it's the one with the most listens on spotify and um i think it has been in some pop in some I think it has had some pop culture usages, certainly not a Cadillac commercial, um, but I think it has shown up in stuff and is at once, I think, emblematic of what this album is up to and also a bellwether because nothing else sounds quite like over and over here. There's nothing else with the same crunchiness to it. There's nothing else with the same just pure riffage on it. Um, and there's nothing else that I think breaks down the... Uh, obsession with repetition across this whole thing. And it does that literally over and over and over and over. Like that's the refrain on the, on the song. Um, like, a, like a monkey with a symbol, which is not a line I like, but it certainly gives you an image. Um, so it's doing that in its chorus and right. That makes it the song that you could hear in a club and not blink, um, that everyone could just start, um, you know, dancing to and, and start singing along to because there's not a lot to remember there. Um, and I, I don't mean that as a judgment. I think that's important to the kind of the intellectual side of the song. Um, but it's an example that this is a band that if they want to, like, yeah, we can write club music. 
we could be played in uh you know in a in a dance club we could be played in an arena and everyone would just kind of bop along um they they are perfectly capable of this and that's where they come from really um but the warning you know maybe we should have taken that title as a uh, a promise or or a threat even that right they can do this but they're going to um break it down across the whole thing incidentally over and over i do think is the best song on the album um it's also kind of the weirdness but back to like it's it's literal invoking of repetition um i think in other places on the the album we get similar confrontation and and what I find most impressive about the warning is that it manages to toe the line between something like over and over and over and over, like right where that becomes a communal refrain. Uh, it, it toes the line between that and repetition as a as a trope of experimental music, drone music in particular, where the repetition of a thing becomes. Uh, uneasy or, or maybe even kind of dangerous if you do it long enough it becomes unfamiliar perhaps and i think there are other places on the album that are towing a bit more closely to that side but again what i find impressive here is that it manages to stay in the middle where it's inviting this kind of communal response to a lot of songs but right up to the edge of oh suddenly this seems very strange and it never quite tips all the way over. But I think in the, the album's general focus on repetition, it, it, it strikes that balance very, very well. Um, something like No Fit State, though, um, I think is particularly good. At, like It gets you right up to that edge. And you're just like, oh, this is suddenly, no, this sounds very, no, I don't like this anymore. Um, it, like It's breaking that facade of innocuousness. Um, I think what else is here, so something like the title track, The Warning, um, again, another one of those like just superficially kind of pretty, gentle, nice songs, um, has the chorus, let me find it here, um, Hot Chip Will Break Your Legs, Snap Off Your Head, Hot Chip Will Put You Down Under the Ground. The first several times I listened to this song, never caught it. And then finally you hear it and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> um, other stuff in this, other lyrics in this are, excuse me, miss, I'm a dog on heat. I'm a complicated being with love songs to beat. I'm a poor starving baby who can march all night. I'm a mechanical music man and I'm starting a fight. Um, I think if only for that verse in the chorus, Hot Chip wins the lyrical contest of this episode. <laughs> um, that we're not actually awarding points to, but you know, maybe uh, in spirit we are. But, right, this is there, there's a violence here that's not on Sound of Silver, that's not on Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, at least not so explicitly. Um, and it's it's just cached beneath this, like nice pretty gentle electronic song um and like the innocuousness of the music itself which is the thing that gets taken forward um again i, I do think hot chip are influential not in the same ways as the other two 
um, but you can hear them in a lot of stuff. But like the sound gets taken forward, and we're forgetting the the violence that's really undergirding a lot of this song, a lot of these songs. And I think after you hear the title track, you can go back to something like over and over, and hear in that, oh, that's not just like a rock riff being being welded into this thing, but like that in itself is a kind of violence. Like there's a heaviness and a righteousness to 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 the guitar playing in that one um, that becomes the kind of confrontation point um, that is at once working with the the dancey repetition um, but is also kind of punching us in the face at the same time and you know not every song is so heavy across the warning but i think in general that's right that's where hot chip is living here um and you know, so many songs have these moments where you're like, okay, I expect it to take off here. And they just never quite do. Um, or maybe they do, but it, it, again, it's produced as such that like the volume doesn't quite match what your expectation is. Um, so they're toying with us much more explicitly than, say, Phoenix, um, where I think, you know, if you dig into the layers of a Phoenix song, like you can hear that that unsettledness underneath it all. Uh, I think Hot Chip is basically reversing that here, where they're putting the unsettling bits on top and then taking us through this journey of trying to find the, the smooth edges, the, the perhaps innocuousness of it all through that. Um, and sometimes it works. And, and by works, I mean sometimes you're able to. Um, oftentimes you're able to, I think. Um, but the warning is, is constantly throwing that kind of effort in our face um, and saying, right, you have to dig through this stuff first to actually get there. Um, so it's an interesting inverse of the whole thing. And that's why I actually like these two albums together, uh, because I think you can see the different ways in which uh, or, or two different approaches to investigating the risk of becoming innocuous when really your band's trying to do something a little bit more profound here. And I, I would just add Boy From School I didn't talk much about, um, but I would just throw that out as, as A, a good song, um, B, definitely sounds like Daft Punk, like something on Discovery in particular. Um, so if that's, if that's your thing, boy from school might be for you. Um, but again, like there's kind of that, like, uh, I don't want to say happiness, but that upbeatness to it all, that like kind of excitement to the song, that, that discovery esque, uh, funkiness. Um, but we have underneath that a refrain of we tried, but we don't belong. And man, that's a heavy line when you hear it enough times. Um, so, you know, maybe this is the warning having it both ways. Like some songs start from that position and try and work their way out. Other ones like this have that grooviness, that funkiness, that danciness, um, and then the repetition of some sad or some violent or, or just some um, upset line kind of takes us out of that as, as soon as we hear it the first time, but it's hard to get there. Um so yeah, that's Hot Chip and The Warning. Oh, the the little factoid I had, I almost forgot about. Um, this was a couple years ago at this point, um, but I was at a trivia night, and they had a picture around, and, and one of the questions in that was, it gave us three album covers, and it was basically named the band for each. Um, 
Daft Punk's Random Access Memories was in there. I forget what the third one was, but the, the second one rather, but the third one was The Warning by Hot Trip. And so maybe this album is way more popular than I give it credit for. I was baffled to see it <laughs> at a trivia night. Um, and it took me a minute. I was like, wait, what? And then finally got to, yeah, that's Hot Chip. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there are a lot of Hot Chip fans out there. Um, hit us up if you are, because that would just kind of be fun to hear. Along with, with Cadillac and Tetris, we would like to do your branding. But Tim, any thoughts on the warning? I don't know that it's it's anything I haven't said already, but it definitely is the the hardest album of the bunch, and there there is a lot of that. I don't know. I, in a lot of ways, I think it strikes me as the kind of album which is like, and I I hate doing this, but like there is something that's better about it than there is about Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, and and I think it comes from sort of a stronger emotional center and. Part of it is maybe a little bit of a cynicism about, like, if it's not quite as fun to listen to, then it's quote-unquote better. Um, but I, I think that it's it's definitely an interesting interesting album that, that kind of feels like the outlier among the three, just because it is sort of the least listenable of the, of the group. I think that's definitely true, and that's part of why I was having theme uh, troubles last night. Like... Uh, it's weird because Hot Chip sounds the most like LCD Sound System, but also sounds the least like the two other albums. So it's it's a weird fit, um, and like making it more of an ideological thing than a just pure song thing. Um, hopefully, made them all fit together better. Like I like talking about the warning. Um, I didn't really want to drop it, but um, had considered it. Um, but it's an interesting listen if nothing else. Um, it's a longer one than Phoenix, certainly, but um, I think there's some, or at least some definite highlights for everyone across the album, even if it doesn't have a, a 1901 or an All My Friends. Um, anything else, Tim? You ready for Spiel? Do you want to hear anything else? All right. So today's entry on the spin list, number 47, is Sound of Silver by LCD Sound System. And I've been talking about the theme of Get Innocuous, which is based on the opening track of Sound of Silver, um, its title. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and Sound of Silver as an album where the vibes are good, the vibes are better, the vibes are all. And for better and worse, um, because I do think James Murphy is is trying to make us look elsewhere than just happy vibes. Um, you can see this in the album's best songs, All My Friends, Someone Great, North American Scum, you know, pick others. Um, but that, like, he's trying to have a genuine pathos, um, or, or even at some points kind of a, an important commentary on New York in particular, it tends to be, um, the... The, the oppressiveness of the place, the, the dirtiness of the place, the, how it makes you lonely. Um, right? And he's doing that, and it just doesn't always quite hit. But even when it does, and something like in All My Friends, which communicates uh, a kind of loneliness and want very well, 
Uh, it's an album that's always at risk of being read as innocuous, as songs that will just play around us forever uh, and we'll never really dig into all that much and kind of miss an important part of them. And so I, I, I'm offering Tim two other albums that I think uh, similar things can happen to and that are investigating that in explicit ways on their own. So one is Phoenix and their 2009 mega hit, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, which has Listomania, which has 1901, which has Fences and Lasso and Armistice and Rome. Um, you know, you know songs from this album, you know several of them. Um, and that in itself is kind of the risk of like that kind of mega fame, uh, becomes kind of uh, a force of a force that makes something innocuous in a way like to just be that saturated to be that present in commercials in stadiums in playlists in grocery stores right you are made sterile and innocuous in some way um and I think Phoenix, on the one hand, kind of leans into that because they are a model for a lot of, of newer indie bands, um, and they're just capable of putting together a damn good tune um, and, and never take that away from them. But I do think on Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, we see bubblings underneath. Uh, we see simmering tension. We see simmering angst and, um, and discord and... In the middle of the album, in Love Like a Sunset, parts one and two, we, we see that become the surface. Like that, that, that tension and that angst bursts through, uh, particularly in part one. And part two tries to, to smooth that back down, uh, but even the end of that song, again, ends a little bit sour. And then we hear that kind of uh, unsettledness across the back half of the album, um, songs that you know, you can listen to and they can they can feel just as, as well-constructed as Litsomania or 1901. Um, but there's always part of them that just feels kind of out of joint or out of place or like it's trying to find uh, itself or, or find the song again. Um, so I think all at once this is an album that right has this innocuous sheen to it all um, and, and what is part of what makes it so popular and so good. Um, but that's... It's not hard to, if you want to, look at the layering of, of Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix and see that the band itself is kind of working through this problem. And option number two is Hot Chip and their 2006 album The Warning, which again sounds more like LCD Sound System than Phoenix, uh, but is also an album that sounds unlike Wolfgang Amadeus, Phoenix, or Sound of Silver. Um, it's thornier. It, it's just a little... It, on its surface, it's more industrial, and it's a, it's a bit more frustrated, perhaps. Um, but you get a lot of songs across the thing that they don't have the sweep of a Phoenix or an LCD sound system, necessarily, um, but there's a sweetness to them. And I think that's important. We get... Um, Songs that can also almost sound like lullabies at some times. Like there's there's elements of that in it, but this is constantly problematized or unsettled. Um, or you get mixtures of something like Boy from School, where it's this kind of cosmic loneliness, cosmic separation um, underneath a very funky, just groovy thing. Um, and I think that's a very explicit questioning of right. We can make a song that sounds big, that sounds like a hit, that is a hit, um, and, and that you know, could it be as pervasive as 
and all my friends are in 1901. Um, but there's always this edge of uh, unfulfillment underneath them. Or you get something like over and over that is, you know, preying explicitly upon that the dance clubbiness of it all with the repetition of the chorus that everyone can just kind of, you know, vibe out to. Um, but the guitar crunch in that thing becomes kind of this malevolent spirit. Um, you see that in uh, the title track as well, which is explicitly violent. So like there are all these weird juxtapositions and moments across this album where some part of it will feel like, yeah, this could be the big major innocuous hit. Um, but Hot Chip is resisting that on every song in some way. So Tim, I, I leave it to you. Hot Chip or Phoenix? This one's this one's a little bit tough. It's always it's always weirder for me when I've actually listened to all three. Like whenever that happens, I'm like, oh boy, all this extra information I have. Um, and trying to trying to leave that out, I think the one that I'm I'm gonna go for here is Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix, just because I think the starting point for it is so innocuous that there is just such a lightness about. Not even like even if even if this is the first go round with the music, which I think is kind of possible if you weren't just watching TV in 2010. Um, like I think it's possible. Like if I gave this to a to one of my students, this would be their first time with it, and I think they would on that first listen not hear quite as much of that um, that problematizing, or not hear quite as much of that sort of needling quality that you can definitely get in this in this particular album. Um, even if it does sort of flounce and bounce for for half an hour, 36 minutes, whatever the, the total runtime is. So I'm I'm gonna go there, even though I feel like that's less creative. Um, but it just it just feels very right that there is something, especially in the second half of that album, which is so good, that's kind of like nudging putting its elbow in the ribs of the first half yeah i think i i hope i made a good case for both i would have been happy to see either go through um but i don't know it feels right in a way um maybe not right i don't know just i guess it feels satisfying in a certain way that like wolfgang amadeus phoenix which to me to us i think is this major moment this major album and like understanding the 30 years that are uh, up for debate on this list um, to, to kind of to get it on the replacement list like I don't there's a certain uh, satisfaction to that I think that like this one that I understand is very important makes it through finally um, but that's it all love to hot chip and the warning um, which I do think is you know I won't say it's not as enjoyable as Phoenix or LCD sound system, but like there, there's a lot worthwhile in that thing. Um, and it may come up in your trivia futures. Who knows? Anything else on these, Tim? I was just, this is one of the ones that I was sort of interested where spin had it originally. Cause I knew that they must've had it somewhere. Um, and I'm relying on your, your sheet on our sheet of sheets um, and that one says that it's 224 out of 300 where like, I don't know, this is, it is in that, it is in that interesting group, um, with, with Grizzly Bear and Paramore and System of a Down and Fiona Apple. Like there's a, 
there's like a run of like 30 albums in there where you're just sort of like, it is a little surprising that this did not make it on. Um, not that I necessarily, even with my, with my extremely limited background, this isn't one that like screams has to be a top 100 one to me, but I don't know. Something about 224 seems appropriate, um, appropriating yet maybe even like a little low given how close it was. Like, it seems like there's there's just the right amount of time between the list and the album for it to be higher, and I wonder if it's if this is, like, an album that might fall off entirely if Spin were to redo this. Which would be sad, because I don't know, you just look at a bunch of the stuff in front of it and, like, they don't have a 1901, man. I think that matters. <laughs> they don't even have a Lissomania and this album has two. Um like I like it's actually lower than I thought it was. I thought it was like one fifty, one sixty. I hadn't looked back at my own list in a minute. <laughs> um so that's actually lower than I expected, but look, it's hard. There's a lot of albums, you know, what do we do with them? Who knows? Um but I'd be sad to see it go off because I do think like it is I just I think it is an important album and it's just a fun one to listen to and like that matters. Um, I, I will I will set the universe right with it on the on the subtitles music list. Um, thank you for listening. We looked at today's entry on the spin list was Sound of Silver LCD Sound Systems 2007 album, um, big hit of an album. And we looked at the theme of Get Innocuous, based on one of the songs on Sound of Silver, and I gave Tim the options of Phoenix's Wolfgang Amadeus Phoenix and Hot Chips The Warning, and Phoenix, uh, much like its namesake, rises again and makes its way through to the uh, subtitles music list. So thank you for listening. If you want to check out more about us, more about the process of going through these episodes and making these lists. Um, if you want to check out stuff on my Spotify or on Tim's Letterboxd, uh, and if you want to catch up on back episodes of the podcast, please go to our website, subtitlespodcast.com, or you can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And please do stay tuned for part two of this episode, which I don't have a great segue for, so bear with me because this one's kind of circuitous. Uh, but Tim is going to be talking about um, the worst person you know. And this is the point where I dropped the factoid that James Murphy was offered a writing gig on Seinfeld, which is all about the worst people you know. So uh, that's the best I got. I apologize. But stay tuned for Talk on MASH. <laughs>